That, I would have really had to stretch my voice to, to get it out there. Uh, and so we, we've got this where we're, we're, we're so under attack that we need to be rescued, rescued from our enemies, delivered, uh, because we are surely and daily going to face particular battles. That the dragon is always going to come after the bride and her children. This is always going to be the case. And so we need to pray every day, every one of us, deliver us from evil. And so we've been working. To, let's, so let's read the Lord's Prayer again, if anything, to remind us that we're not just talking about prayer, not just talking about spiritual forces, that we're digging into what the Bible says about prayer and figuring out what did Jesus mean? Why did Jesus have us pray, deliver us from evil? We don't just want to coast through that. We want to understand evil as much as we can, a biblical understanding of of prayer and of evil so that we can pray this prayer rightly. We can know exactly what the Lord is going to do in it. So let's stand the honor of reading the words of our God. Beginning in verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, it is our prayer today that God, you would deliver us from evil. That you would give us eyes to see evil where it is around us or inside us. And Father, that you would deliver us from it. And that, Father, we would know that you promise that you have, you are, and you will. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're, we've been talking then, looking for several weeks now at what evil will we be facing as Christians when Jesus tells us to, to pray to be delivered from evil? What sort of evil do we need to be delivered from? And we saw the Bible talks a lot about how evil attacks the Christian, how the evil one will come after believers. That's one of the things he does. And, and we looked at that. Then we started looking at the demonic and how the demonic comes against us, how the evil one uses those evil forces, uses the, the demonic to the, the point that the Bible says last Last week, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against these guys, right? Against the cosmic powers, against the spiritual forces at work in the heavenly places. That's who we fight. That's the level of who's the evil coming against us for, the, for Paul to say, that's who we're fighting. We're fighting evil. We're fighting these things. So we looked at, you know, we've seen the devil. Uh, we've seen demons. We see, so when we're looking at evil, we're going against Satan. We're going against the demonic. It's easy for us to see the connection between evil and, and those things, even the connection between them, to see that daisy chain from, from uh, Satan to using uh, the demonic. It's easy to see that. No, of course, of course, that's going to be part of the Christian battle. But the Bible is also clear that we face another enemy. That the evil world is also a tool wielded by Satan against Christ's 
church. And by that, I want us to be clear, as we're going to see in the text, by that, I don't mean sort of the general idea of the world, sort of metaphorically, just this, 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 uh, this aura or, or whatever. I'm not talking the world metaphorically. I mean specifically the people in the world. The people in it, the people of the world we're going to see are not natural observers of this cosmic war that we are in. So we're not in a cosmic war. We're the forces of good. There are demonic forces of evil out there. And the world is just sort of watching to see who wins. There are no, there are no bystanders. This is not the American Revolution where you've got the redcoats uh, and you've got the revolutionaries and people are setting up picnics, you know, on the hilltop to watch and see what's going to happen. That we're going to see is not the case. Now, we've already seen a little bit of this last week. Remember, we already saw last week that the world is enslaved to the demonic, that, that the world is, in, in all of its false religions, is, is worshiping at the core, worshiping demons. We're going to see today that the people of the world, your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members, they are not and never will be neutral in your spiritual battle. They are soldiers, all of them, whether they realize it or not. And they are soldiers that Satan will use against you and against Christ's church. But for us to understand that and to understand that's why we, why, why it is that we need to be delivered, not just from the evil one, but from the evil ones of this world, we need to get the Bible's view of the world. So God made the world, God made everyone in it. So his description, the creator's description of his creation is something we should trust. Aside from the fact that he's your God and you should believe everything that he says, uh, we're adding to it to the fact that, yeah, he made the world. He made the people in it. Let's see what he says about the state of the world, specifically in its relation to the children of God. The first thing we're going to see is that the people of the world are evil ones, evil ones. Sometimes when we talk about the world, specifically the people in the world, we'll use different words. We use less uh, uh, acerbic sort of words, less, less caustic. We'll use words like uh, the unsaved or the, the lost. Uh, but that's not, that's not really how the Bible most often describes, not just the state of the world, but the state of its people. And if we're not careful, we will let those words of our, of our own ideas of who people are at their core will let our understanding and our belief of the world and what we oh surely believe about them, we'll let that shape our understanding of our relationship and how we view the people around us in this world. But Jesus, Jesus tells us this, if you're breaking down the state of the world, Jesus tells us that the world, and by that I'm, you're going to see he means every single person in the world because he's talking about the, the actual people in the world that they fall into two categories. Everyone falls into two categories, good or evil. Those are the only categories. There's no third category. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. That's what he says. Matthew 5, 45. He says, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. 
and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So in this world, there is evil. There are the evil and there are the good. God sends rain on them both. He doesn't say I send rain on the evil and the good and those in between as well. Uh, because the world's broken up into evil and good, into righteous and unrighteous. That's the, the word just and, and unjust, really the word, the word righteous and, and unrighteous. Uh, for our purpose, we'll focus on that, that evil description. Now, now, again, some people chafe at this idea. You know, well, you can't, you can't say that, that everyone, you know, you, you can't say that everyone who's not a Christian is evil. Everyone who's not good is evil. Well, as we're going to see, I don't have to. We're going to see that Jesus is going to do that. And Jesus is going to tell his disciples that. And we're going to see why it's important for them to know that. Not just because Jesus is being mean or or divisive. Uh, We're going to see it's absolutely essential for for both the evil world and for believers to understand this. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 49. Jesus is going to do it again. Here we're going to see what the the, the ultimate sort of uh, realization of all this is. What's going to happen? Matthew 13, 49. So it will be at the end of the age. The evil or the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. Here again, we see the two categories. The world is going to be divided. And unless you think you're going to have a small group of demons and maybe Hitler uh, and, then, and, then a whole, and then a group of, of good, of believers, and then a bunch of people in the gray. That's not what Jesus says. He says the whole world is going to be divided between evil and righteous. This is the word that was translated just in, in Matthew chapter 5. Same word. Uh, between evil and righteous, evil and good. So you've got the good. And you've got the evil. Well, in order to understand these two distinctions, in order for us to understand, well, who's in what group? We have to know what Jesus means, not just by evil. Let's see what he means by the good. Because when we understand what he means by the good, by the righteous, we will understand that everybody not in that category is then in the category of the evil ones. Okay, of the evil so what does Jesus mean by the good and the righteous? Because we know, I mean, you've been here long enough, you know that, that none of us is good naturally, that none of us is righteous naturally because we're all fallen humans. We have hearts from Adam that are, that are birthed and slaved to sin. We're, we're dead. So how does one get from that into the good category, into the righteous one? Well, it's about your actions. We're going to see that he's going to set this up. It's the, the way it's broken up is by your actions. At least that's what he starts by saying. Look at John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. So we saw his description of how people were separated there, good and evil. Well, and Johnny gives us more of a description of why people are separated that way. What is it that determines what sides you go on? 5, 28 and 29, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Okay, but how will the not good and the unrighteous, and we just said we all are naturally, how are we not good and unrighteous ever going to do good and righteous things if we're spiritually dead? So you look at that and you say, we got to do the, the people who've done good. That's who he's, so, so Matthew separates good and evil. John, he separates those who've done good from those who do evil. Okay, well then how do we, spiritually dead, unrighteous, how do we end up doing righteous? Well, that's what he talks about just a little bit before. A couple of verses before, Jesus actually tells us how this happens. 
How do we go from spiritually dead to doing good? What happened? Look at what he says, beginning in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all authority or all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, resurrection of judgment, but has passed from death to life. What was the other resurrection? The resurrection of life, as he's just about to talk about just two verses after this. So so what he's saying is the evidence, the evidence that one has been given life by Christ, that one has passed from death to life, is that, he says in verse 24, that you hear the words of Christ and you believe them. And then he's telling us in, in verse 28 and 29 that that belief will be seen in action. The, the good then, the, the righteous, are those whom, as verse 21 says, are those whom Christ has made alive, and that that new life is then evidenced by their good and righteous lives. So the good are those who are the, so who are the good? The good are those who hear and believe in Christ and whose actions match their profession. What would we call that? Very simply, Christians, right? The good are people who hear the word of Christ. How do you get in the good category? The good category, those who do good, how do they do good? They've got to be made alive by Christ. How do we know they're made alive by Christ? Because they hear the word of Christ and they believe and then they live it. The good are Christians. That's the good category, Christians. So to be in the good category, you have to hear the words of Christ, believe them and do them. Which means that everyone who does not fit into that description is not in the good category. Which means everyone who is not a Christian is then by default in the category of evil by Jesus' own definition. So either you are a Christian, that means you are You are on the good, the righteous side by what Christ has done in you, evidenced by a changed life, or you are not. And if you are not in the category of the good, the only category that remains is that of evil. So what does it mean when the Bible says that the world is evil? We're going to see, just as with us, it is a matter of the heart. Look at 1 John chapter 5, 19 through 20. It says, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that, and he's like, you know that because you read my gospel, right? Uh, And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding. Again, this is just, this is John just riffing back on John chapter five. 
This is just what John said in John chapter 5, verses 21 through. We know that we know that we're from God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies on that side of judgment. We don't. Why? Because the Son of God has come and given us life, given us understanding, caused us to believe, to hear his words, so that we may know him who is true. So he gives us understanding so that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. But look at that. Look at that first verse 19. So that, so you either, you either are of God and in God because of the work of Christ in you, or you're on the other side. What is the other option again? You're either in Christ or you lie in the power of the evil one. Literally, lies in evil. We add the word power and we add the word one, but you could either either way be fine. Lies in the evil. Lies in evil. Lies in the evil one. We lie in God because of what Christ has done in us. The world, those without Christ... Without Christ, without hearing and believing, without action in their life to show that hearing and believing is genuine, those people without Christ lie in the evil one. And this is very much like we just saw in Matthew as well. Very much like what we saw in John. Same, these are all the same things. This is all because of what the Son has done to us. All because of what Jesus has done in us. So that we might, what does he say? That we might know him who is true. All of this so that we might know the truth and that the truth is a who, not a what. That we might know him who is true. And we are in God. Why? He says, because we are in his son. So the only way to be in God is to be in his son. The world though lies in the evil one. And note, They lie in the evil one just as strongly as you lie in God. So so however weak you are, well, they're not really in the evil one. Well, it parallels them being in the evil one with your parallel of being in God. Unless you want to be like, well, I'm not really in God. When it comes to being in God, we're like, no, secure. Like, you know, uh, predestined from the foundations of the world. Like, I'm tight. Like, right? It's not, it's not going to happen. But when we talk about them, for some reason, when we talk about, and I, I mean, we, again, it's demonic. is why. For some reason, when we talk about the evil world, we, we want to obfuscate. We want to tone it down. We want to say, yeah, they lie in the evil one. But that's really just erratic talking. We're just, it's really just hyperbole. He's just trying to, he's just trying to exaggerate. I mean, Unless you think he's exaggerating about your position in the Lord. The Bible makes a parallel here. Between good and in God. And evil and in the evil one. That's the state of the world. So the world. Evil ones lying in the evil one. Just as much as we lie in God because of Christ. Those in the world who are not Christians are evil. They lie in the evil one. What does it mean to be in the evil one? What sort of influence are we talking about here? We could, we could, we could talk a long time about just say, well, what's the influence God has on you? And para- so, so that's the contraposition over here is, is that's the same influence that, that they have. If lying in God means this, then lying in the devil would mean the opposite of that. But we, we, don't, we don't have to do that. No, it's obvious, it's obvious Satan's influence on the demonic. We know that. We wouldn't, wouldn't question that. But what sort of power, if I were to say that the demonic lies in the evil one, you go, yeah, of course he does. But what does it mean that the the evil world, that non-Christians 
lie in the evil one? What sort of power does Satan have over those in the world who do not know Christ? Well, let's ask the Bible, right? I mean, I could sit here and tell you. I make it up and get mad about stuff I don't like or whatever. Uh, You know, it all goes, I tell you, it all goes back to pool, you know, or something like that. And, you know, with a capital T and that rhymes with P, that stands for pool. Yeah. Uh, But what what do they, what what are we talking about when we say that they lie in the evil one? Well, the Bible tells us that they are in the domain of darkness. The world sits in the domain of darkness. That those without Christ, that with Christ, we're in the kingdom of Christ. If we're not in Christ, we're in the kingdom, the domain of darkness. This is what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 was our story. Right? Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Now here again, we see another passage explaining to us not just who we are in Jesus, but who we were before him. Unless you think that the Colossians were some special group of evil people, right? They were now, you know, oh, Colossians, you were delivered from the domain of darkness. Uh, And we're like, oh, yeah, those Colossians, they were really in that domain of darkness. Or this is a description for all of us. Of course, it's a description for all believers for all time. Before we are saved, we lied. Like the rest of the world, we lied where they now lie, in the domain of darkness. That's the natural state of the fallen world, birthed into the authority, the domain, the kingdom of darkness. It's just our natural state. And it would have been our natural state had Christ not delivered us from that domain. Where is that, that word deliver, right? Deliver us from evil. That's why I said Christ has done this and will do this. Christ has delivered us from evil, delivering us from that domain of darkness, which is where we were. The word domain is just the word, it's the word for authority. It's the word authority. It's the word Paul used in Colossians 2.15 when he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The world is under the authority, under the rule in the kingdom of darkness, of the devil, of Satan. So the Bible describes the Bible describes the world as in under that authority. What does that look like? Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, Paul's going to give us a more elaborate. I mean, Colossians and Ephesians talk about mm, two good books to read at the same time. Uh, Colossians and Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. He's going to elaborate a little bit here. And look at what he says, beginning of verse 1. So what does it mean to be in the domain of darkness? What does that look like? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So, there, you know, those who do unrighteousness to the resurrection of judgment. It's where you once walked. You're once walking in that. Again, unless you think the Ephesians were a special type of bad people. This is the state of everyone. You were dead in trespasses which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power. Now, there's the, there's the two words for rulers and authorities, domain. Following the rulers of the authority, the chief of the authority, the root, however you want to translate it, of the air. The spirit that is now at work. Prince of the power of the air. That spirit that is now at work in the sons of 
disobedience, the sons of unrighteous actions, the sons of rebellion against God. Satan is at work, that spirit is at work among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Before Christ, in the, in the, the, it's according to the eon, the Greek word is just eon. From the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness. The reason Paul preaches the gospel, the reason we preach the gospel is precisely because everyone, is this it, the Gentiles, the nations, precisely because they are in darkness. We don't preach the gospel in case some of the people out there might be in darkness and we might catch one of those who aren't just in the gray, uh, but are really in the dark. We preach the gospel because everyone not in Christ confessionally and obediently is in evil, in the darkness, in the domain of darkness and under the power, Jesus says, under the power. That's again the word for authority. Under the power, the authority of Satan. It is only there through Christ that they can receive forgiveness for their evil and be made holy. But again, how does that happen? How is someone who's in the domain of darkness, who's under the power of Satan, how do they go from that to holy? What does he say? It is only through what? Faith in Christ. Which means no faith in Christ, then still in all those other categories. Still under the authority of Satan, still under his power, still in darkness, all of those things still evil. Again, we see that without Christ, what is the state of everyone in the world in darkness, under Satan's control, and following him, living in disobedience? The spirit of Satan at work in them. Which shouldn't be shocking to us. Do you remember last time what we saw last week in Galatians chapter 4 verse 8? The state of the lost world and the demonic. We talked about the work of the demonic, not just in the world, but through the world. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. The world is enslaved to the demonic. It's not shocking that if they're enslaved to the angels of Satan, that they're enslaved to him as well. Under his domain, under his domination. It's not shocking. But the Bible also tells us that this domination, lest we uh, adopt a victim mentality, this domination is not an unwilling one. The Bible talks about the words, uh, the world's relationship to Satan as a familial relationship, as the relationship of father and child. The Bible is going to show us that the world is children of the devil. It's the next thing. What is the state of the world? The world is children of the devil. Jack, you know, obey grandmother. Thank you. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 13. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 38. The field... 
is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. So again, in this world, there are two seeds. Seed, pun, for sons. You read, just read the book of Genesis and see the importance of seed and sons. The seed, the sons of the kingdom, the sons of God. One seed, one side. The other side, and there's not, again, there's not a third category. The other category is sons of evil, sons of the evil one. But, but the idea of them as, as children is, is not just a matter of progeny or, or origin, but when it talks about them as children of the evil one, it talks about, again, not just that they come from him, but that they like to follow him. They want to be like their dad. As Satan's children, the evil children, the evil people in this world act like their father and they do so willingly. This is what Jesus tells us in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 verse 44. It's a really interesting thing here. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So Jesus comes to these people like, look, your father's the devil. And as we know, one of two seats, you child of the devil. And as a child of the devil, your desire is to do your father's will. Just like Jesus just said, my desire is to do my father's will. He said, you're of your father, the devil, your desire is to do his will. Now, who's he talking to? Is he just, you're going, oh, he's probably talking to the Pharisees or some sort of high priest or something. You know, who's he, who's he talking to here? Well, look, he isn't talking to some special group of really bad people in John 8. He's actually talking to a group of people who have just said that they believed in him. And not even a group of Gentiles, right? Oh, you just thought you believed, but you're just a bunch of Gentiles. These are Jews, but Jews who do not actually believe. And since belief in Christ is the way out of evil and into good, they find themselves still on the evil side. And Jesus says that that means Satan isn't just their master. He doesn't just have domain over them. He's also their father. And they are obedient children. Their will is to do his will, to do what he desires. John's going to make it even clearer in 1 John on a more worldwide level in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So we saw earlier that the evidence that one is on the good side, right? The righteous side is not just what you proclaim, but how you live. And here we see the reverse is true as well. If, you practice, if your practice in life is to sin then it does not matter to, if your practice in life is to not do good, then it doesn't matter what you proclaim. If your practice is to do the not good, to do the unrighteousness, then you are, he says, of or from the devil. He says, you are, this cannot be, in fact, he says, what you're doing, you're doing the works of the devil. He says, you're you're doing these things. Christ came to destroy those things. Well, what are those things? Those things are the works of the devil. The evil people in this world, which 
Everyone is who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. It says everyone who's not a believer in Christ, they are children of the devil. The world is under Satan's authority. They're under the authority of darkness. They're enslaved to the demonic. They're enslaved to sin. They're enslaved to death. They're his children. But what does that mean for the world and for Satan's use of the world, specifically for us as Christians, as our enemies? Because it it sounds like when we're praying deliver us from evil, we're just going to go, oh, I'm glad I'm not them. That's not the intention of this. The intention of of all this isn't just to go, woo, aren't you glad you're not those yet? Now you should go, woo, I'm glad I'm not on that side. But we're going to see that the reason this is going to be a danger for us, the reason we need to understand the state of the world around us and the people specifically in that world is because the the, the devil acts through the world. We saw this with the demonic, but the evil people of this world, the evil world are agents of evil. They're agents of evil. They will be tools used by God or used by Satan to do evil things. We just saw this earlier. We talked about they're doing the works of the devil. By their practice of sinning, they're doing the works of, of the devil. But we see this, and, and look, at, look at, for example, look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. We see, we're going to see how Satan uses the world to accomplish his purposes. He uses them as his agents. The father uses his children. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So who threw these people into prison? The devil. The devil threw these people of the church into prison. But how did the devil do that? The devil didn't come and pick them all up and haul them, you know, to the nearest Nero facility, you know, and throw them in. He didn't do it himself. And he didn't even use his angels, the demons. Who did he use? Go back to verse 9. Go back to the previous verse where he talks about their tribulation. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you were rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So the tribulation they're facing comes from those who say they're Jews, but aren't real Jews. I mean, this isn't talking ethnically. It's not like they're, this isn't like some sort of like modern sort of, you know, re-ethnicity sort of thing. I, I feel Jewish. Uh, that's not what's going on here. They're not believers, not real Jews. They're a synagogue, all right. They all go to synagogue. But the synagogue they go to is the synagogue of Satan. That's who they're really worshiping. And that's who they're really following. Again, showing us that, that any worship other than the one true God is at its core a worship of the demonic, a worship of the satanic, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. But Satan uses these evil people, this evil world, to throw some of the church into prison. So just as as the demonic are agents of Satan, so are the evil ones. So as everybody in this world who is not in Christ can be used by Satan, is being used by Satan to accomplish his goals, his purposes, sometimes more explicitly than others, 
Here, specifically taking and throwing these people in prison, other times in a more general sense, just by making a practice of sinning, like, like, like John says, you go around practicing sinning, that's doing the works of the devil. They're just doing his works just by sinning. Being used by him just by his like wind-up toy of sin. Ticka, 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 chop, 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 and they just do it. Still doing the works of, of the devil. Sometimes in a more specific way, though. We see him actually acting through individuals who say they're believers, who say they're Jews in this case. We see the same, we see the same thing in Jesus' life, where Satan acts not supernaturally, but acts through natural desires of evil man to accomplish his purposes. Go back to John 8. Go back to that John 8 where we saw their, their children of the devil, their desires to do his will. John 8, 44. What's going on here is Jesus bringing an uproar, bringing an uproar in the world, really. He's destroying the works of the devil, destroying the demonic, and the devil shows his displeasure. But how does he do it? He does it through human agents. John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. So what does the father desire for him to do? He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So what their father desires, they do. He wants them to lie. And what are these people going to do about Jesus? They are going to lie about him. He knows what they're going to do before they even do it. And what else are they going to want to do? They're going to want to murder. They already want to murder him. But you know why they want to murder him? Because their father wants to murder And because their father wants to murder, he uses them to accomplish his evil desires. Remember how the devil wants to turn people from God? We saw how he uses the demonic to do that, to try and turn us even from pure and sincere devotion to Christ. Well, the demonic, so it's not just Satan that employs the world. The demonic will employ the lost world in this endeavor as well. So we've got this chain. Satan desires to turn people from God. He sends his demonic angels to accomplish that task. And they employ the evil ones in the world to try and turn people away from God. Perfect example, Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 10. Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 10. So... Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they'd gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Paul, who, or Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks intently, is able to understand what's going on, looks intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? 
What do you have here? You've got a proconsul, eager to learn, eager to hear the word of God, wanting to know more. Elimus, the magician, seeks to stop that, seeks to turn him away from the faith. And so what does Paul call him? When the Holy Spirit fills him, Paul says, I know who you are, you son of the devil. He is an enemy of any and all righteousness. He is full of deceit. So here we've got the, uh, the devil desires to turn people from the Lord. Use it. Here you've got people doing that for him. Jesus said that's what the Pharisees were doing. Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So they travel, they travel to make people, they travel to make people not children of God. They want to make them even greater children of hell. And the Pharisees are pretty good at it. They're pretty good evangelists here. Because they're able to make people twice the children of hell that they are. The people of this world only work to make others worse. So when you hear about people in this world traveling to do good, realize that that's what these guys were claiming to do. They were claiming that they were traveling to make people children of God. And he says, look, you're not. You're actually, when you go and you proselytize, you try to win people to your faith and your system. And we go, well, just let them do that. I'm sure it's going to be for the good. Listen, they are making people twice the children of hell as they are. It's not good for them. The people of this world, the people not in Christ, only work to make others worse. Satan seeks to drive people away from God. He uses the demonic who then put that into the heart of those in the world, enslaved to them, and they work to drive people away from God. And of course, probably the chief place where we see Satan employ the evil world for his work is in the life of Judas Iscariot. Judas, who we all know was a great guy who was willing to keep a little bit of Jesus' money back for a special occasion, right? Jesus who was stealing, Judas who was stealing from Jesus. That's, that's bad. What happens on Thursday night, the day before the crucifixion? John tells in John chapter 13, verse 2, during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Later, Luke describes it this way, Luke chapter 22, verses 3 and 4. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. So how does Satan kill Jesus? How does he kill the Son of God? Well, Satan doesn't just kill him. He uses the evil world. In this case, he puts betrayal into Judas's heart. And then he has Judas turn him over to the Jewish authorities who then turn him over, turn Christ over to the Roman authorities. And what do you have is you have this chain of evil hand followed by evil hand with the Jewish authorities. So you've got evil person, Judas Iscariot, handing them off to evil person with the Jewish authorities who then hand them off to another evil person in the Roman authorities to end up at the crucifixion. It's evil hand after evil hand after evil hand all working out what Satan desires. And so it's not surprising as we're cascading down in terms of how Satan attacks the believer, why we need to pray deliver us from evil. He uses the demonic, but the demonic is not always openly acting to oppose the Christian. Satan will also use his children through demonic influence to accomplish his purposes. 
So what is the state of the world? What is the state of those without Christ? Every single person without, who has not heard and believed the words of Christ, who are not living righteous lives in accordance to that faith, that faith is not bearing fruit in their lives, those without Christ are evil. They lie in the evil one. They are in his dark domain. They're under his authority. They're children of the devil and they're obedient children of his. And the devil and his demons will use them to accomplish their purposes and their purposes, church, are against the bride, are against the woman and her children. We'll see next week why this is going to be a specific problem for Christians. We're going to see next, you're like, there's more. Yeah, next week we're going to see how the world turns its sights. I mean, they turn their sights on one another all the time. But every once in a while, Satan teams up their vision on Christ's church. And we'll see how we handle that. But let's talk about some uses for what we've seen today. And I'm going to go through these uses fairly quickly. If you want to know more about them, I want to spend more time in in the word than in my, my uses. But here's, what do we do with this? This is just to make us go outside and the first person we see go, oh, you know, like evil. Uh, uh, you, want to, you want me to pump your gas? No, I don't know. You know, hit me over the head with that gas thing. Uh, what is the purpose of this? One, first thing is we have to make sure that our opinion and view of the people of this world matches the Bible's view. And the Bible's view, the Bible says that every person on earth is either a Christian or they are evil. That's how God, God describes them. That's how Jesus describes them. And again, I don't say that in a way to make, well, if Paul described them that way, they wouldn't be as influential as the fact that Jesus said it. Unless you think, so, so that's, how, that's how all of Scripture describes them. And unless you think that humanity has had some sort of great reset between the writings of the New Testament and today, unless there's been some great uh, unknown revival to now there's a third category or, or whatever, that's still who the people of this world are today without Christ. If we don't understand this, it is going to be dangerous. It is dangerous to not understand this. It is dangerous to not hold this view of the world. It is dangerous to hear the Bible say everyone who is not a Christian is evil. It is dangerous to hear that and go, no, I don't know. No, I don't know. Why is it dangerous? It is dangerous first because at this point you would be openly rejecting what God has said. God would have called them evil and you'd be saying, no, I don't know if they're evil. They seem so nice. They seem so sweet. I mean, after all, they're my, and that's normally what we do. We don't mind calling the people out there that we don't know and we have no association with. They might be evil. But when they become our family, the people we know, all of a sudden we fudge a little. And we end up calling, even though God calls them evil, we call them something else. And if they're not in the evil category, Jesus says the only other category is good. 
And that's doubly dangerous because what does uh, Isaiah say in Isaiah 5.20? Woe to those who call evil good. Woe to you. If you go around trying to tell yourself the world is good, or even worse, teaching others that the world is good, while God says they're evil, that is a dangerous place to be. It is also dangerous because if we do not see the world as evil, we will be ignorant of our enemy. And he is not ignorant of us. If we think the people in this world are basically good, then we will not fear their motives behind everything that they do. And we will walk blindly into anybody who's got a smile. And anybody who follows the right people on Twitter. Or anybody who watches the same news station that we do. We will begin to think they are on our side. They seem so sensible. And we will not be circumspect. We will be lax with our friendships. We will not be intentional in our conversations. Begin to think, who, who knows? Maybe they'll get in anyway. I mean, they're so close. They're so close. They're so close. So the man who has his toe on the line of salvation but will not cross it is still an evil man and still an enemy of God's people. You need to understand that until that toe crosses that line, until that heart is made alive, that heart lies in the domain of darkness and will do what its father tells it to do. It is dangerous to us and it is also dangerous to them. We've got to understand the state of the world. If we're going to understand the desperate need for, for death and life through the gospel. But we, don't, we don't do the world any good. We don't do the world any good by underselling their fallenness. We don't. Unless you think that in the end, God's going to ask about their belief in Christ or your opinion of them. The only way to get on the side of good is to believe and obey Jesus Christ or to have Chris Gore think you're a pretty neat dude. And do any good to them. And if we don't see them as evil, we will not realize the desperate situation they are in. We need to be delivered from evil, not to downgrade it. The next use. So first, make sure your vision of the world matches the Bibles. And if you've seen this call of evil and good and evil and good, and this is who good is, and that means everyone who's not in the good is in the evil, and you're like, listen, there, there might need to be just some obedience to Christ, or to realize that that's the demonic influence of the world who's tried to reorient your vision of, of these people. An angel of light who's told you, everyone else is kind of angels of light too. Second thing, use. These things are, are not, this, this isn't given us to, to cloister us or to make us a bunch of monastics or even to put us on the defensive. These are given to prepare us. This is given to prepare us for the battle, to give us an understanding of the world, not just that we're in, but the world that we face. The world we go to combat with and against. The next use be useful for you is do not think that your unrighteous friend has good intentions for you. 
This is a good, useful thing here. No non-Christian wants you closer to God. There's not a single one. No non-Christian wants you closer to God. If they don't want you closer to God, then they do not have good intentions for you. The world, you know, often we, we see the, we talk about the symmetry of it's easier, you know, to be pulled down than to be pulled up. And we have, the world's wanting to pull you down and you know, just get you into, the, the world doesn't, doesn't care about pulling you down. And, and the world may not want you to, to sin in some open and obvious way. The world just wants to pull you away from God. And it'll let you keep your clean living. If it can just pull you further away from your father. This world and the people in it who do not know Christ do not have your good at heart. No matter how many of your posts they like, no matter how many pictures of your kids they put hearts by, they do not have your good. And you must beware of that. But let's do a little bit of self-reflection as well. This is who you were. This is who you were and who you would still be without Christ. It is only Jesus giving us life. It is only Jesus giving us ears to hear, the faith to believe. That, that it is only through that that God has delivered us. If it were not for what God did for you and in you, you would still be evil. You would be an evil one. That's what you were. And sometimes we can get so much this side of the cross's work in our life that we forget. I mean, as Christians, we struggle not to see in the mirror and immediately forget who we are right now. Of course, it's hard to remember who we were. That's who you were. But another reflection, that's not who you are. That is not who you are anymore. We must not downplay salvation by downgrading the evil of the world or by downgrading the work of God truly and not just hypothetically done in us. It's funny that as Christians, the only people we don't mind calling worms and wretches are people who aren't worms and wretches anymore. We don't mind calling ourselves a bunch of worms, this is wretch. But what about, well, he's not a wretch, he's kind of a good guy. Christ has changed you. He's not just calling you good. He's not just calling you righteous. He has made you good. He has made you righteous. And the fruits of that are seen not just hypothetically, but physically in your life. The fruit is born, not just promised. The other side of uh, of Isaiah 520 is not just woe to those who call evil good. It is woe to those who call good evil. Now I can make an argument that's actually worse. But remember, God is the one who calls you saints, who calls you holy ones, not evil ones. So I don't like to, I don't love the translation saints. Holy ones. The world, evil ones. You, no longer evil ones. Who are you? Not even just no longer evil ones, which would be great. God is the one who calls you, who calls his churches, even the church at Corinth. His saints, his holy ones. We are not just called good, 
We are good. We're not just called righteous. We are righteous. And that's not just nominal. It's not just a name only. It's seen in our lives. Christians live good lives. Christians live righteous lives. Or they are not Christians. And they will face the resurrection of judgment. The work God did in us changes us. It has changed us. That's who we were, but it's not who we are anymore. So see the grand work of God to redeem a people. Not just, not just to tell the, the evil that they're good. Not just to tell us that. You're not evil anymore. You're good, but making them good. Making them holy. Making them saints. The, the next thing is be better children. No, I said I was going to fly through these. I didn't fly through these. Be better children. Imagine, again, if Christians were as obedient to their father as the evil world is to theirs. That's kind of the problem. One of the problems is that Satan has more obedient children. Imagine if if we strove just as hard to draw people to God as the world does to draw people away from him. The lost world loves doing their father's will. As Christians, we'll see God's will for our lives and we'll pretend we didn't. And we'll hurry up and run to another verse. We'll even do another bit of obedience if we don't have to do that obedience. We'll be like, Father, convict me of something else. Convict me of something else. Aha, I'll do that. And then lastly, see in this the amazing work of Jesus Christ. Let's let, let 1 John, with your understanding of the world now, let 1 John 4.14 ring in your ears. And we have seen and testify, the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. The evil, enslaved, rebellious, murderous, deceitful, children of the devil, Jesus is going to save that world. Indeed, hallelujah, what a savior. If we see the world as basically good, then Jesus' salvation is just just window dressing, just a pick-me-up, just sort of a, a good scrubbing that they need. The more wicked the world, the more glorious and amazing the grace of God to send his son to die for them. If you raise the value of the world, you lower the value of the cross. If you see the world as God says for us to see the world, then we see the work of Christ as truly amazing grace. And the more we see the prayer, deliver us from evil for what it is. And for what Jesus did for us when he saved us. He delivered us from evil. He didn't just deliver us from the evil out there. But we were the evil that we needed to be delivered from. And our Savior saved us from them and from ourselves. Let's pray. Take a moment and just think about these things. Pray that that you would have a view of the world that 
that the Lord has. Again, this is not in uh, any way some sort of mean or hateful view. The Lord used it to say, hey, I send rain on the just and the unjust. I send it on the good and the evil. And so just because you have these categories doesn't mean you're not unloving, doesn't mean you've got to be unkind. Because God says, I certainly am not. But you've got to have the categories. You've got to have them. You've got to have the same view of the world that God tells us about. And then realize that the, the reason there's a temptation not to is because, it's, it's because of the spiritual battles we face. Because of the desires of Satan. Because of the work of the demonic. It would be good if we did not see the world as evil for them. Operate with free reign. Without our cautionary eye. The world will want you to see them as good. Their father disguises as an angel of light and they want to appear as angels as well. But we'll see next week they are lying to you on purpose. And then see yourself for what you were, but not what you are anymore. All because of the work of Christ who didn't just promise you salvation. And doesn't just promise it one day, but has worked it in you, is working it in you, and will work it in you now and forevermore. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for delivering us from evil. We pray, Father, that we would continue to have this prayer on our lips, that we would see the world the way you tell us to see it. And that 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 lens through which we view is not to cause us to retreat from the world, is not to cause us to pull back, it's to equip us to know that the way you win the world is with the sword. They've got to die by your word. They don't just need a good scrubbing, they need to die and be brought to life. May we see that. May that give us the desperation to talk to our neighbors, to talk to our co-workers, to talk to our family and friends. May we not buy into the lie that they're so close, so close that maybe they don't need to hear from us. Maybe they're just going to get in somehow. May we see their desperate situation. May we know that we alone have the remedy. That we alone know the one who will deliver us and them from evil. Christ, you are the savior of the world. What a savior. May we have confidence to take this gospel to the evil world because we were once in that domain and you delivered us. May you deliver them just as you promised you would. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.